0: Hi, this is Dr. Jane Battenberg, author of Change Within, Change the World. In this weekly podcast, I interview changemakers who are at the cutting edge of new thought and consciousness awareness. Join me as we change within and change the world together. Our guest for today is Lenita Newberg, a psychoanalyst on the topic of Mentioned to Manage Emotions. Lenita, welcome to the show. Thank you. You're a psychoanalyst. What is the difference between a psychoanalyst and a psychiatrist, say?
1: A psychiatrist is a physician who will prescribe medications. Oh. There are psychoanalysts who are psychiatrists. But psychoanalytic training comes after a terminal degree from some other mental health training. So that can be a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a clinical social worker, chaplain, many other disciplines.
0: I'm laughing because you said a terminal degree. (laughs) Does that mean...? (laughs) that um, means
1: the highest degree um, in a mental health field. Okay.
0: It doesn't mean you're going to die. <laughs> no, hopefully not.
1: <laughs> okay. But it is about another 10 years after finishing oh. whatever other degree.
0: Well, how did you get into into psychoanalysis? And what intrigued you about that?
1: I was taking a, a class about Fantasieckle Vienna, in which we were studying all sorts of 1900 Vienna philosophers and artists. There was also this Freud guy in there. And I said to my instructor, (laughs) I love this course, but the Freud stuff, maybe not so much. And he talked to me for a few minutes and said, well, you don't have that little part quite correct. But as we talked for about 10 minutes, he said, you're a natural at this, you should think about it. And so I looked into it a little bit more and a little bit more, and it kept giving me a language for what I had already knew because Mm -hmm. I've always been interested in how people get to be who they are, in how we stay who we are, even when we try to change, what makes it easier to change, what is the impetus to change, what are the parts of ourselves that seem unmalleable, and that's fascinated me for decades by now. It's such a holy work to have somebody put their most tender feelings and expressions in my hands and work together to say my life isn't quite being what I want it to be. How can I improve that?
0: Mm. So then after deciding you might be interested in that, how did, what was your training after that? You were in St. Louis, right? Mm -hmm. And you got two degrees
1: I was working on a Master of Liberal Arts at the time. Uh, I went to get a Master in Social Work, and then I had another two years in postgraduate therapy training and then psychoanalytic training after that.
0: And you ended up, the your last job there was training therapists, psychoanalysts? That was one of my jobs, yes. What else? Well,
1: <laughs> I was the president of the organization of the St. Louis Psychoanalytic Institute, the director of the... Mm-hmm psychotherapy training program which is postgraduate and also had my clinical practice. Wow
0: that's fascinating. (laughs) So you really have a lot of experience. Fascinating work, yes. (laughs) What uh, grabbed your attention and got you fascinated with this?
1: Watching people get stuck and get unstuck, it's magnificent to see somebody say, wait a minute, I'm just not able to do this. I know what I should be doing and I just can't do it. What's getting in my way? And it isn't that somebody's not intelligent. It isn't that they don't care. It isn't that they don't have enough willpower. We talk about in psychoanalysis, making the unconscious conscious. Yes. And if you're being governed by 90% of your mind that's unconscious, how the heck are you going to fight that fight? So being able to work with it, find our way in. And hopefully, it's not as though I have answers that I'm giving somebody and I'm the all-knowing Oz, but can I help you learn the skills? So that when you run into something down the road, and we're no longer working together, you can still say, wait a minute, I've seen this pattern before. What do I need to do here? What am I not aware of? How do I check in with myself to see what might be going on that's keeping me from making forward progress? Good. And watching people make massive, massive changes. You know, when you go back to, say, a high school reunion, and there are some people you can just pick out immediately. They haven't changed. And then there's that rare bird you say, oh my gosh, that's (laughs) so-and-so. They've changed so much. How on earth did they make those kinds of changes? And we don't always want to change absolutely everything about ourselves, but sometimes we say, wow, if I could tweak this, if I could alter that, how might my life be markedly different? And watching that, being witness to it and participating in it is a thrill.
0: Well, in my book, Change Within, Change the World, I talk about getting the unconscious mind to talk to the conscious mind so that you can help it make a different point of view, that the unconscious mind sets patterns and follows those patterns all the time. All the time. Yeah. Okay,
1: It's exactly the same thing. So not everybody needs to be in analysis. And even if you need analysis at one point in your life, it doesn't mean that you need it in perpetuity. But where are those places where we simply cannot do it ourselves? Or we could do it so much faster if we have somebody helping
0: us learn. I like that. When we were talking before the show, you were talking about a couple of movies that had points that you thought were relevant to to people. The title that you we've chosen is Mention and Manage Emotions. How do those these two movies relate to the title?
1: One thing is I look at trends. You can imagine psychoanalysts look at movies so frequently to see what's going on and, mm. and to look at character study, but it's been fascinating to me lately to see how many times there have been messages coming out of even Hollywood about how important it is that we know how to manage our own emotional lives the rate of change in our world is incredible it's huge just the the amount of information never mind the assault that is on our psyche on our on our psyche on our ability to try to manage the world what do i do with all this information and how do i respond to it emotionally Mm. so these there are what in the last year two movies about Fred Rogers and he made this point in Congress when he was trying to get funding for Mr. Rogers neighborhood and then it comes up again in the more recent movie uh, won't you be my neighbor it's can you mention and manage emotions he says if it's human it can be mentioned If it can be mentioned, it can be managed. And the neuroscience is proving Mm. this time and again. Dan Siegel, who is a big interpreter of the neuroscience, will say, if you name it, you can tame it, to put it in slightly different language. And in psychoanalytic world, we would call that the observing ego. In Buddhism, you would call it the observer. When we can take a step back and look at ourselves, that does something neurologically different, And it is emotionally far more mature to be able to step back, look at what's going on within ourselves, so then we can make much more of a conscious choice about how we respond to it instead of simply having a knee-jerk reaction, which comes from we don't know where. And we can say, well, that's just part of ourselves. This is part of who I am. Mm. But it doesn't feel very much in control, and it isn't. When we can say... Oh, I'm feeling that pang in my gut that says I just feel like I got kicked in the gut. Think of how physiologically these emotions are registered as bodily sensations. And when we can become aware of those kinds of things and then say, I've had this feeling before and I know how I typically react when I feel like I've been kicked in the gut. Let me stop and think about this. Is this that kind of situation? Or is this something entirely different? Do I need to slow down and remember, this is not my dad <laughs> or <laughs> whatever the situation? You know, this It often taps into something that's extremely old. And can we, in fact, say, no, this is a friend who genuinely cares about me and she's giving me some feedback and I need not to run off with it and make it mean a bunch of things that it simply doesn't mean.
0: So when I asked you... Do you have like a book or a body of work or a set of principles that you go by? And you said, no. And I thought, wow, you mean you just (laughs) respond to the person in the Mm. moment? That's so freeing. It's liberating
1: and it's also, it's such a, a magnificently huge canvas. In analysis, I would say the rules or the protocol is, yes, I need to know who you are, not just you individually but you at this moment at this point in your life what i love about psychoanalytic theory it's so broad and it's so deep it's not only one theory by now it's quite expansive but it helps me understand that that degree of uniqueness of who you are right now what are we talking about the kinds of things that you and i have come to to know and understand over hours and hours of working together will tell me we're working with this little teeny tiny facet of who you are as opposed to something that's in another part altogether.
0: So you actually see each person as unique. Absolutely. And having their own unique skills to contribute to the world. And there are patterns.
1: There are things I can say, well, if in this constellation of symptoms, for example, this is what's typical, but then we have to ferret out, okay, I need to look in this category but it doesn't mean that it exhibits itself in the same way for each person so how is it for you and when is it that you choose this particular expression or feeling or experience as opposed to another and what would help facilitate that moving in another direction
0: so so you see each person having different personas at different times is that what i'm hearing or Well,
1: we all have different. We know that, for example, I can be in a situation where I might feel assaulted one day Mm. and another day, if I'm already feeling a bit stronger or there are some kinds of different situations, my response is going to be entirely different. Why? I'm still the same person but is it tapping into a different part of myself and what makes it easier one day to feel stronger and another day to just feel somehow beaten down? I'm the same person and yet there's some other element that is there, not there, tweaked in a different way. And the more I understand myself, again, the more conscious that gets to be a choice.
0: Hmm. So what else do you recommend if people want to get to that deeper place? What what other things do you recommend they do? Analysis.
1: Well, analysis help. can help enormously. Yeah. This is one of my one of my desires. I don't know what my next big project is going to be, but I think it's going to have something to do with trying to take psychoanalytic principles and what we know about being able to manage all this and do this self-reflection on our own and take it into broader broader groups. So The old thing about simply listening to your body, Freud actually started with, let me know your thoughts, your feelings, and your sensations. That's not new, but it is something that we have learned to override. How many times have we thought, I just have to buck up and work hard and work through this. But if we try to override it, we're losing some massive information. Now we may need to wait a little bit until we figure out what to do with that. If I'm in a difficult situation and I feel overwhelmed, sometimes I do have to just get through it. Can I then later stop and say, wait a minute, where did that register in my body? How did it register in my body? Because our emotions are physiological. So if I know that Okay, I felt that tension in my neck and I get accustomed to when I feel that tension in my neck I'm often associating it with that time that so-and-so was really angry at me or we start learning our associations and it comes more quickly and more quickly and more quickly just being able to manage that and again take that step back use whatever metaphor is going to work for you. Sometimes I say get up on a balcony, take a step back, whatever. And it's amazing to me how many times people will see a literal balcony, a specific one. I know several people who see a particular hall in town, you know, say a theater, and I see myself on top of the X in theater up in the balcony looking down at myself on the stage. So when you build that as a practice, it starts coming more and more quickly, very quickly.
0: So So you anchor that and then you can go to it more easily? Mm
1: -hmm. Okay. And over time, it's amazing how quickly you can start getting there. To say, what's going on with me? How am I feeling? What are the assumptions I'm making about this? And then tap into, is that really going on now? Or am I borrowing that anxiety from 40 years ago and... It doesn't belong to right now. Is there a real danger? So You you get accustomed to being able to think through the process. Is this current or is it not? Mm, That's good. So what else do you recommend people do? Mm, Well, I'd be about the first person to say that one of my biggest criticisms of psychoanalysis is that while we do such a magnificent job concentrating on how to help Pathology, what's called pathology, or things that hurt. And we have to. That's why people come to us primarily, is because something isn't working quite right. But we've done little, in my estimation, to pay attention to cultivating joy and happiness. And I know you've interviewed Peggy Rubin, and that's one of the things that has drawn me so much to her work. And it was a question of mine when I started analytic training is if, for example, the placebo effect is so powerful, why are we not trying to figure out how to harness it? And one thing that I would like to concentrate on, I don't know quite where to go with this and how to do it yet, is how to incorporate more of that into my clinical practice and how to help people in the general population. Even if you're not in analysis, how do you
0: work with this? Because the placebo effect is, I mean, you can take a placebo and 40% of the time it'll work. Right. Which is actually more powerful than some of the drugs we have. Than many of the drugs. And if you take... Even
1: many of those people taking the placebo will say, I know it's a placebo, and it still works, so please keep giving it to me. (laughs) That's pretty darn powerful. So when we're working on mental health, and truly the broadest spectrum, what is mental health? How can we, we know that we're not using more than a small smidgen of our brains, of our Human potential. When we try to maximize that, if we could also concentrate not just on fixing what ails us, but on how we can truly maximize our strengths. Yes, I do come from a social work background. So it's something that I think more social workers tend to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. What strengths do you have? What really works for you? And if you were given carte blanche, go ahead, please dream big what would you like to do with that it's something that i have asked for a long time in my practice and it's often uh, i don't know i i'm kind of amazed that it's not more a part of the field but it's one place i would like to go how can we pay attention more to building joy to building general happiness That's a big, big, tall order. It is a tall order, and it's one of, you know, some of the studies with the unconscious, for example, you can show people who've been through some some significant early life trauma. You can show them the millisecond picture of what would be a happy picture so that it doesn't register for them consciously, and they will have a frown effect in their muscles around their, their mouths so that their unconscious is being triggered with this should be a happy scene but say maybe my mother died when i was 10 years old and it triggers that loss so when the unconscious is that powerful we do want to pay attention to it and that's where sure the work that i've done as a psychoanalyst and getting to some of that wow i never even knew i was making that kind of association that's powerful to unlink it That's one of the reasons that, yes, paying attention to what ails us is so powerful. I haven't heard your interview with Peggy, but I know that I don't think I disagree with her here. (laughs) That It's not as though we can ignore the pain and what hurts, Right. but very often we don't even know it. We don't know the links that we're making.
0: So that's going back to your title, Mention and Manage. If we don't know it, but then we mention it, it, we name it.
1: Then you can tame it. Then you can notice it. How easy is it to find something that you're not looking for? <laughs> not very easy, right? It takes real genius to find what you're not looking for. And I think of this somewhat like going to a brand new place. Maybe you're on vacation. Maybe you just move to some place and you try to find the grocery store. Well, the first couple of times, now, do I turn right? Do I turn left? Is it a mile down this road? whatever it's a little more complicated by the fifth time you don't even think about it so finding it initially is not always easy once you have found it and it becomes second nature enough you don't even have to think about it we get on autopilot all the time when we get in the car we know where we're going now I just moved so I'm going through this about every day (laughs) you know does it take me 20 minutes to get there does it take me five minutes to get there and I'm in a new car and my phone works differently, et cetera, et etc. So every little facet of it is brand new. It slows me down. It takes more effort. And the, at the beginning stages, finding it does require much more efforting. And then once I start getting it, it's like, okay, it goes, it goes, it goes very, very quickly. So this sounds like a very long process. And of course, psychoanalysis is sort of famous for taking years and years. But we are trying to find things that are absolutely, literally unconscious. So getting there is not so easy. It's not arduous, but it takes time. And then once we have found it, it just can be amazing at how quickly it can change.
0: So I'm going back to It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, mm-hmm. or what Mr. Rogers. Can you talk about that simple movie related to what your point you just made?
1: I would not even call them simple movies. I, I could see some of these movies several times over because they have just little nuggets every couple of seconds in some cases. I think that the interest in Fred Rogers has come around culturally right now because of how much we're overloaded. And if people... Think of how many times... If you just get a little snippet of news how many times a day, and we get angry, we get scared... We get angry, we get scared. When we get angry and we get scared, we're not thinking well. We literally get into a fear part of our brains, which is the fight and flight and fear and freeze and faint response. And when we do that, we're not thinking at our best. So I think that some of the Need for two Fred Rogers movies in the last two years. Some of the comments in Frozen Two. Um, there's a little one that I just love, especially for little kids. You think of how many times kids watch Disney movies. You can watch the same one twice in a day, and they'll watch it for three years. Yeah. So how many times? Are they going <laughs> and to they see know it by heart. <laughs> and they and yay. And Disney knows this. Of course, they know it by now. So when the snowman says control what you can when you when you feel out of control so when you can control what you can by playing a little game and we can feel a little bit more in control that changes how we feel
0: in our bodies so control what you can when you feel, feel out, out of, of control, control. I like that
1: yay and how many times do little kids feel out of control they often
0: don't have control over Much of anything at all. So I'm just reminded of the Mr. Rogers movie when he was trying to put the tent up. And he spent 10 minutes trying to put this tent up and he couldn't do it. And then they said, cut. And he Mm. went and looked at it and he says, yep, that's good. Perfect. It shows kids. That that adults don't get everything
1: right and they're not all powerful. And yes, sometimes we get frustrated and it doesn't work perfectly for us either. I like that. Yes. (laughs) True. And that's sometimes scary for little kids that the adults don't know how to do everything. Oh. But it's also comforting. It isn't just because I'm a little kid. It isn't just because I'm small and powerless. It's life. It's how it works. Even the people I admire and I respect and I count on sometimes are imperfect. They can't do everything. And I need to know that too. I don't Need to grow up with some idea that being an adult, what I'm trying to get to, means that I'm going to do everything perfectly because that's impossible.
0: That reminds me. I was giving a workshop on um, increasing your brain power, and there was a man. I was. He was supposed to jump on the trampoline and move his arms in different directions depending on. And he he says, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. And I said, Why? And he said, because I don't do anything that I can't do perfectly. Uh I said, oh, brother. Okay, so you can't make new pathways in your brain unless you are doing things that you can't do perfectly. And I can't
1: tell you how many times the adults in my office have said something essentially like that. Mm. And they can be perfectly intelligent, competent people, so terrified to do something imperfectly that they can't try anything new. Mm and that's frightening for our world. Yeah, for each individual. I mean, if I take just the title of your book, change within, change the world. What a gift to everybody. What a gift to the world when I try to be my best self. That's what I'm trying to do. And when I can be my best self, when I can get hold of myself. And that's boy, I don't do that perfectly at all. When I can get hold of myself, I'm giving more to the world. And if I hadn't gone through my own analysis, for Mm -hmm. example, which is required for any analyst, I would be that much further behind. What would I not be able to handle now that I learned to handle in those years that I was in analysis and now that I'm still trying to grow in many different ways, trying to learn from different places, different people?
0: One of my rules for life is um, it's all practice, Mm -hmm. so uh, if you don't get it right then oh good well you're just practicing
1: (laughs) (laughs) and it's feedback when when something doesn't go well all right first thing i want to do is good on you for trying good on you for making a, a big effort in a new place that you haven't tried before that's already a success that's already great
0: I just, I keep thinking of Mr. Rogers trying to put this tent up. Uh It was so, oh, I thought, oh, no. (laughs) there. And then he said, oh, good, that's perfect. (laughs) It's all practice. Mm -hmm.
1: And how do we deal with it when we're disappointed? Mm. Because that's another part of the lesson. It didn't go the way I wanted. How do I respond to that? Do I go sit in a corner and cry for a week? (laughs) I hope not. (laughs) Or, you know, do I... Try to talk with a friend. Mr. Rogers does that a lot. He talks with somebody, and it's another part of naming it. And neurologically, when we put a name to it, even internally, I'm just thinking, and I give it a name, like I'm, I'm feeling hurt. That's one thing. That does something in our brains neurologically. If I say it out loud to myself in a room, that does something at a different level yet. Really? And then if I say it to you and you receive it, I say, I'm feeling hurt, and you're hearing it, that does something yet again at a different level neurologically. Wow. So being able to speak to somebody else about what's going on with me inside, if I tell you and you and I have a conversation about it, it helps me at a different level, and it helps you too, often. I mean, I'm very much changed as an analyst when I'm listening to people so it's mm. it's a relational process too it's not only an internal one
0: interesting psychoanalysis how did you apply this to different areas well
1: one of my intentions has been to try to take this massive fund of knowledge that we have about psychoanalysis and how people are work and how we're put together and bring it to the community and i don't know all of the ways of how to do that. Since I was in a position where I had many beginning career therapists, and I saw them having an interest in doing something in addition to therapy in the therapy office, and I got together a group to work with, how do we modify this a little bit? And it's not the same thing, of course. Psychoanalysis is an individual treatment. It happens with one person at a time. That doesn't mean that we can't take anything that we know at lighter levels and bring it into different different groups. So there was one woman, for example, who's from South America but lives in St. Louis, and she was working with immigrant populations, some of who were effectively refugee populations but not necessarily called that. What does it do to our identity in the 21st century? to be an immigrant and try to deal with who am I, especially if I left rather against my will and I'm not liked where I am. Mm -hmm. Another young man who grew up with congenital heart defects went to camps in the summer for kids with congenital heart defects, but they paid attention quite a lot to the medical side, but not to the emotional side of what it means to have an impairment that cannot be seen for one thing. And so he's working with young kids and the the people at the camp to say, what is it like to emotionally have to deal with this when you're maturing and growing up and wondering about the limitations in your life. So for these people to figure out how to work with, again, mentioning and managing emotions within these different groups, these these different parts of the community where people are not necessarily coming for therapy, they're coming for different reasons, but they can still get this and they tend to eat it up it's very welcome information i th- see so many people looking to say we know so much here how can we help disseminate this and grow it and make it a practice
0: applied to different uh, fields or different well, wherever circumstances. people are receptive
1: i mean often what brings you to one place you're going to say i have trouble with one woman Herself lives with chronic disease, and she'd started a blog for people who live with chronic disease and the Mm. emotional elements of dealing with chronic disease. We are a body-mind. It's not a body-mind connection. It's a body-mind. If you've got a chronic disease, you're living with that all the time. That has its emotional elements, and when we don't manage the emotional side of it, it's also going to show up in a
0: medical way. So mention it and manage it. Mention again. and manage it again. <laughs> we each have our own patterns, and and you're saying part of this self reflection gives us more options. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Or
1: mm-hmm. it gives us more options and it gives us more choice, more conscious choice. When I see that my typical pattern is, I feel this kick in my gut. What do I, you know, my typical pattern is to shut down. Mm -hmm. If I can catch myself a lot faster, I catch myself faster and faster, I can do something different with it. I often talk to people about Yahoo, you know, the search engine, Yahoo. (laughs) Yes. Remember that? Do you know what that stands for? You always have other options, (gasps) which I love. And when we get into these places where we're kidnapped by our feelings and by our old patterns, we think there's no other option. We say, well, what else can I do? It's like watching one of those old thrillers where we feel there's only one place this can possibly go, or it must mean this, and then with some good writing, and we see, ah, wait a minute. I made all these assumptions, but it doesn't have to be that what else can it be? I have other options, even if I'm not immediately aware of them. What other options might there be? And even if I just stop myself to say, wait a minute, what kinds of options might there be? I've already created a space for it. I love it. Yay. (laughs) And it may not be, I may not come up with an option that I like right away. But just keep practicing and get
0: more options. And
1: Yeah, I often think, I mean, I stretch my hands out as wide as I can often to say to somebody in my office, for example, when I first met you, your response was over here. And if you get it down so that it's 90% lower, then wow, that's progress. That's massive progress. And if you keep cutting that in half and cutting that in half and cutting that in half... Think of the options that it opens up. It's
0: massive. It's huge. It's massive. There's a story in my book about a man he was up against a lamppost and he's struggling and struggling. Somebody went by and said, What are you doing? And he says, I'm trying to get home, but this dern lamppost is in my way. And if he could just step back and go around the lamppost, he'd have more options. He One get little home. pivot step.
1: <laughs> One little step and and
0: you're And your trajectory can change. That's great. Mm -hmm. So in the last few minutes we have, what other recommendations would you give to people to manage to mention and manage or manage their emotions in a way that gives them more options?
1: Um, I suppose I can't be a psychoanalyst without saying, if there are places where you feel you just keep tripping over your own feet. Yes. Don't hesitate to work with somebody on that. I think cleaning up our own stuff often does require being able to put ourselves in somebody else's hands. And that doesn't have to be interminable, but when we can trust someone else and put ourselves into that situation, it can have fantastic consequences.
0: So rather than talk to my husband or my girlfriends who are going to have a, a habitual response, uh, you're saying get a, an independent observer that doesn't have a vested interest? Well, your husband
1: probably ought to be loving and supportive. Yes, sweetheart. I absolutely agree with you. And that's part of his job.
0: Yes. And he does it well. And, good.
1: Good. Then you're really lucky. And sometimes the job of a therapist is to say, and I wonder if you have considered. Mm. Or I wonder if we can sit back and be curious about
0: your part in this. That would be uncomfortable sometimes, right? (laughs) You bet. You
1: bet. I mean, my job is often talking with people about things they don't want to hear. Mm. And that's not always easy. And it requires a different kind of relationship. And you don't necessarily want to have to go to bed with that in an hour. So no. <laughs> so it might be best to think about compartmentalizing
0: in a way Compartmentalizing meaning? Well, if, if our appointment
1: is at 10 o'clock on Tuesdays, that's your time to deal with it ah. And then you can come home to your husband and say, you know what, I need a hug right now <laughs> Because she just beat me up uh-huh. in my therapy session or something like that There are all sorts of ways that that gets Sometimes frustrating. I would like to be friends with people I see, but that's not my job. My job is to be friendly
0: by sometimes challenging you. So y- your basic premise is that you totally support the person 100% in, in better mental health.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. So and as,
0: it, as, uh, if I were a client and I could trust that you 100% had my back for that, then I would be willing to be uncomfortable.
1: I think it changes the relationship in some important ways. That's why those parameters are there. They are there for the benefit of the treatment, absolutely. And sometimes they're frustrating, but ultimately, I mean, I worked with one person who was dying, and she said to me, I really wanted to be friends with you, but I needed you to be my analyst. And I thought, this is somebody who understood that. That those boundaries had to be there, and that she used them to great benefit.
0: Wow! So, if people want a psychoanalyst, where would they go to find a good one? Does it have to be in their local area to do it, person face to face, or can it be done by the phone? Or
1: absolutely, best done personally. I think if you're going to do psychoanalysis proper, that usually means several times a week on the couch, so you have to be in person. But the way the world is working and uh, distance being what it is, teleconferencing is actually improving quite a bit and can allow for some um, connections that otherwise you just don't have. So if there's not another analyst for a hundred miles, do you drive a hundred miles four times a week? Probably not. But The APSA, it's American Psychoanalytic Association, APSA.org website, there's find an analyst through that. And sometimes just, I think, if you do a psychoanalyst and then your zip code, sometimes you can see if there's anybody at least close by.
0: Okay, great. So any last comments? I see so many people trying
1: to be better. And very often we're doing it through our own metrics about Am I eating well? And am I sleeping better? Those are incredibly important. They're for our bodies and we cannot ignore them. But I also see a hunger for, I'm trying to grow as a human being. I'm trying to be better in who I am, in how I deal with my relationships, in what I give to other people, in what, and how I experience my own world. And that kind of self-reflection is not something that we pay much attention to in our in our popular culture i think but the hunger that's coming across says to me we need to pay some attention here and we can do it with one another as well as i need to do my own personal work on it so i'm looking forward to those changes i think it can be exciting and i think it can be helpful Just as much as we're trying to pay attention to how we respect the earth, part of the respect is respecting myself as one of the beings on this earth and how we pay attention to other humans, other beings. And it's a deep, deep level of respect to see somebody and to see myself at that level. Mm. It's all important, I think.
0: So you're talking about each person respecting their own uniqueness, mm-hmm. their own feelings. Yes. And respecting others in that same way. Right. Well, wow. Sounds like a golden rule. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Well, Lenita, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. So you don't miss any of our shows. Make sure you subscribe to podcast.changewithin.com. Or click the subscribe button below. Until next time, this is your host, Dr. Jane Battenberg.